You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. Today we're very lucky to have dietitian, author and speaker Sharon Natoli hosting the podcast and we've invited expert in food matrix effects, Professor Michelle McKinley to work through this new research with you, explore this revised approach to thinking about food and to provide practical messages for you and your clients. I'd also like to say a very special thank you to Dairy Australia for supporting this podcast. And now on to Sharon. So welcome to the podcast. My name's Sharon Natoli and I'm a dietitian and author and speaker and also the Director of Food and Nutrition Australia. My expertise really lies in creating clarity around connecting messages about food, health and nutrition with clients and consumers in a way that resonates and inspires behaviour change. So Today I'm here and I'm joined by Michelle McKinley, who's the Professor of Nutrition at Queen's University in Belfast. And Michelle's research investigates the ability of dietary interventions to modify nutritional status and risk of chronic disease. And she's particularly interested in diabetes and cardiovascular disease. She also looks at exploring novel approaches to encouraging and supporting diet and lifestyle, behaviour change and weight management throughout uh, the course of the life. And we know that around the world in science and nutrition circles, there's growing recognition that dietary guidance is ideally uh, based on evaluating the health impact of whole foods rather than on the individual nutrients that they contain. And in Australia, we've recently seen this reflected in the Heart Foundation's new recommendations, which have been around meat, dairy and eggs. And so Michelle has a particular research interest in the effects of whole foods and food groups and whole dietary patterns on health. So... Today we're going to have a chat with Michelle and just have a look at what's been coined the food matrix effect. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Sharon. Great to have you here in Australia. And as dietitians, we do take a food-first approach to nutrition and health. Um, you know, it's the often the most effective way for us to communicate with our clients. But historically, we know that nutrition science has focused on identifying specific mechanisms and health impacts of single nutrients, which in itself is useful to our understanding, but we know that in recent years there appears to have been a shift towards examining the relationship of whole foods and health. Is this what you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think that's right, Sharon. Um, I, I suppose from a common sense point of view, it made sense for nutrition research um, at the very beginning to start looking at the effect of individual nutrients and their relationship with health. And that has been really important. Um, as everybody knows, we have um, you know, eradicated nutrient deficiencies in many parts of the world. And that has been because of our knowledge about the effects of individual nutrients on health. Um, we also know, for example, the importance of the role of folic acid in the closure of the neural tube, and that led to specific recommendations for women to take folic acid supplements. So that approach to studying individual nutrients has been really fundamental um, to nutrition research and to where we are today. Uh, but I guess the key thing is we, we don't eat nutrients, we eat foods. 
and we eat foods in different combinations um, and we eat foods from different food groups as part of the whole diet um, and furthermore we eat them in different forms sometimes raw sometimes cooked so to only look at nutrients means that we would be missing out on a big part of the picture on the uh, story the story about um, diet and health so in the last few decades really um, another emerging um, complementary way of looking at the relationship between diet and health has been to look at whole foods and whole dietary patterns and this has been termed a more holistic approach to looking at nutrition um, and it really is you know part of the movement towards understanding the effects of whole foods and the whole food matrix on health yes yes so some really important points there i think uh it's good to have the foundation of the understanding of nutrients and their impact on health and be able to eradicate those or certainly go a long way towards eradicating those nutrient deficiency diseases that we've seen and i guess like everything it's an evolution isn't it we, we find things and then we continue to build on them so the great thing is that we're sort of moving back into that or into that whole food uh, understanding which helps us certainly when we're talking to our, our clients and our patients about food so you mentioned about the food matrix and we're increasingly hearing about that in science and nutrition circles can you explain a little bit what that actually means yeah so um dietitians will be very familiar with this concept but i guess it's um the the food matrix concept is really the idea that um foods are more than just uh, you know a package of the individual nutrients they contain um, different foods have very different nutrient profiles but they also have very different different physical structures so the idea of the food matrix is that it's that physical structure of the food along with the complexity of the nutrients and bioactives it contains that results in its effect on health because the food matrix really affects um, the nutrients that are available to the body and how they're absorbed and then how they can be used by the body to have their different health benefits. So if we only consider the nutrients, we're, we're not considering the interactions between nutrients and food and the interaction between the nutrients and the physical structure of the food. So I guess it's, it's part of that holistic view in relation to diet and health where we're considering interactions that happen within the food and that really the the whole premise of the food matrix is that the whole is more than the sum of its parts so you, you know we're not just considering a food based on one particular bit of knowledge we have about one nutrient it contains you know we we do tend to do that in nutrition we tend to maybe think of um, vitamin C when we think of oranges um, we tend to think of calcium when we think of milk but actually those foods are very complex in terms of all the other nutrients they contain um, so really it's thinking about that whole package of nutrients um, and the physical structure that they lie within um, and there are there are really good examples of why the food matrix matters in nutrition research already you know if we look at for example carrots um, there have been some really nice studies looking at the carotenoid bioavailability from carrots when they're consumed in different forms because Sometimes we eat them raw, sometimes we eat them cooked. Um, and some interesting studies looking at digestibility of carrots and the 
carotene that is available to the body has shown that if you're consuming chunks of carrots that are raw, the carotenoid bioavailability is maybe only a few percent. But if you consider those carrots um, cooked um, in a pulped form, um, where the food matrix is broken down a little bit and um, cooked with a little bit of oil, the carotenoid bioavailability um, increases to about 40%. So it really is just one illustration of why the food matrix is important and why it really matters when we are considering the health effects of food. Yes, yes. So the physical structure um, is really important. And I think uh, the idea of looking at the different sorts of effects of cooked and raw and as you say pulped and I guess processing is really important for us too and it's because it's not always obvious I guess which way things go in terms of nutrient availability I think the current example is a, is a good one and uh, I guess when it comes to dairy foods well, dairy foods are recognized as one of our core food groups in Australia as they are around uh, in many countries um, and dairy foods have been the focus of some of your research I understand so can you explain, I guess, what's unique about the dairy food matrix? Yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, and a, a number of years ago, uh, a group of um, experts, scientific experts in this area got together to really look at the evidence for the dairy matrix specifically. So, you know, the food matrix applies to, to any food, but we were particularly interested in pulling together the science on the dairy matrix. Um, and, you know, during the course of that meeting among experts who had been working in the field of dairy nutrition for many years and nutrition in general, um, it became very clear early on just how complex a food we were dealing with and and the fact that not all dairy foods are the same. So if we think of the food matrix, I mean, the yogurt matrix is different from the cheese matrix, which is different from the milk matrix, both in terms of the, the nutrients that are within them, um, but also in terms of their physical structure. So things like the protein network um, in different dairy foods differs according to whether it's cheese or milk or yogurt. Um, we know that the fat content will differ between different foods, the sugar content may vary. And then um, another complexity in dairy, uh, in the dairy matrix is obviously fermentation. So we have um, yogurts and cheese which are produced through the process of fermentation and that process of um, you know adding bacteria and the ripening for example that happens with cheese um, will affect the dairy matrix and it's then its subsequent effect on health so really I think sometimes we we do think of dairy foods as, as one blanket you know food group but within that food group there are actually very different food matrices um, and therefore you know it's entirely plausible that that food matrix is going to influence the effect that the food um, is going to have on health and I think that's what we're starting to see um, within dairy research in particular is examining the health effects of specific food matrices um, and that these are really unique and they can't be easily mimicked you know you can't easily mimic the effect of um, or the the complex structure of something like the the milk matrix or the cheese matrix they're very unique um, and and that is in turn related to their their health benefits 
Yes, yes. So uh, I can see you'll have a lot of uh, research years ahead of you, given that complexity um, and between the different types of dairy and the fermentation and all the different nutrients and the matrices. So there's, there's certainly lots to research, which makes it quite interesting, I would imagine. Um, so with the food matrices for dairy foods being that complex and being that varied, then I guess it's not surprising that they could have differing effects on health, as you've mentioned, to what we might um, have expected based simply on the nutrients that they contain. And if we just looked at the research around the nutrients and the health effects, we wouldn't perhaps get the full picture. So to use your Aristotle quote, um, which I know is one of your favourites, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, in recent years, we've heard that the, the great news, despite its inherent fat and salt content, cheese is back on the menu, um, which is really good news for me. I'm someone that you know, if I'm out for dinner, I might choose the cheese platter for dessert rather than the sweets. It's one of my favourite foods. So can you share some of your findings around the effects of different matrices? Yeah, absolutely. And and the cheese matrix that you mentioned is is, is probably one of the, the best examples and perhaps one area where we have most research at the minute. Um, and I think it's it's great news for everybody who likes to, you know, finish their meal with um with cheese rather than the dessert. Um with a nice cheese board. The um the research in relation to cheese has quite clearly shown in in many studies now that when you consume um, cheese as a whole food and it has unique um, its unique structure and its unique nutrient content when you consume cheese you don't see an increase in um, cholesterol levels and as we all know, for many years, I think cheese has had a bit of a hard time because of its saturated fat content and its salt content. And if you just considered that in relation to cheese, of course, people would then extrapolate that that would mean cheese had an adverse effect on health, on risk of cardiovascular disease, and that it would potentially um, increase levels of risk factors for cardiovascular disease, like blood pressure and like lipid levels. But we quite clearly see from these um, studies, specifically of the cheese matrix, that that is not the case um, and that cheese does not have that effect of raising cholesterol levels. So uh, another good example um, of the, the cheese matrix has been and in relation to its effect on blood pressure. And there has been a, a nice study looking at a, a hard cheese and its effect on blood pressure compared to placebo and, and what they saw that a placebo containing the same amount of um, salt and fat um, relative the cheese relative to that placebo resulted in quite a large lowering in blood pressure so indicating that the, there was something in the cheese matrix that was having this effect on lowering blood pressure and that's quite consistent with what we see in the DASH studies, which I'm sure lots of dietitians are familiar with and have heard about. And in the, the original DASH studies, we saw that uh, a healthy dietary pattern that included um, lots of fruit and veg and three servings of low-fat dairy in the original DASH studies resulted in a, a very notable um, decrease in blood pressure. And that study um, was repeated and the low-fat DASH was compared to a high-fat DASH where instead of low-fat dairy products, the dairy products were regular dairy products products, not necessarily 
um, low fat varieties and they found comparable reductions in blood pressure with the um, high fat dash as they had with the low fat dash diet so that is really showing us that there is something in the dairy matrix that is specifically having this effect on blood pressure and that we see it whether you go for regular um, dairy products or the reduced fat versions and you know this is really it's really good evidence that is starting to be taken up by individuals and incorporated into dietary guidelines um, and now um, I think that um, those who are formulating dietary guidelines are realizing well there maybe isn't as much evidence as we thought or once thought to differentiate between low fat and regular fat dairy products uh, so I think that that's you know really progressive and it, it points to the specific effect of the dairy matrix on health. Yes and so we saw that evidence starting to come through in the recent Heart Foundation's guidelines uh, or position statement revision which is great and I think that makes it much easier for people to be able to eat well if they know they can choose low fat or full fat and they can base their preferences based on or base their choices depending on their preferences and ideally what we're wanting people to do is just to eat the right amount of dairy for them for, and, and to receive the health benefits that as you say come through from having the whole food yeah. um, and not so much from just looking at how well, how do we get the how do we get the nutrients that we know we need met through our food choices so as you say it's about all the other things that are in food that um, that we really don't don't know so much about but are starting to find out through your research and others in terms of the the combination and, and what, what what benefits we get from the package and so i guess i guess that's important food for thought in terms of um also when we think about food production and innovation and we know for example at the moment that there's a lot of interest in plant-based eating and plant-based alternatives for people when that comes to both meat and dairy um, and i guess there's perhaps, you know, what you're highlighting is that we can't expect that there's going to be similar um, health benefits from plant-based alternatives to dairy, given that the matrices, even within the dairy food group and between cheese and milk and yogurt, as you've said, are quite different. So what are your thoughts around, I guess, that it's a bit of a trend, I guess, that for some people they need to have alternatives to dairy and then for other people it's more, I guess, a, a trend and a perception of health benefits for interest in plant-based alternatives. What, what are your thoughts, I guess, around that sort of movement? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's 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 a trend we are seeing, um, you know, across all countries. It's certainly a trend in the UK as well as um, in Australia here that people are, um, well, I suppose, extolling the virtues of, of plant-based uh, foods and plant-based diets. And alongside that, there has been a real explosion of um, plant-based drinks that are available. Uh, my, I, I do have some... Um, reservations around plant-based drinks in, in, in the way they are marketed really because I think consumers are viewing them as a replacement for milk and dairy foods and I think that is where the main concern lies from a nutritional perspective because you're not comparing like with like so the milk uh, the milk matrix is not mimicked in any way by the uh, plant-based drinks that are on the market. 
although many of the plant-based drinks will compare themselves to milk um, and you know they, they do make some comparisons that that are not valid for example based on sugar content so sh sugar in the plant-based drinks will be added sugar um, sugar in milk is the natural lactose that is present in milk which has a very different effect on um, on health and dental health and is viewed differently in dietary guidelines and I think with plant-based drinks they they are marketed as a replacement for dairy but we know from looking you know at their nutritional composition that um, the, the protein content can be quite low in many of the plant-based drinks um, also the the protein is not necessarily of high biological value as you get in milk and dairy products and sometimes the plant-based drinks are fortified with a few micronutrients a few vitamins and a few minerals and calcium is one of the ones that is most commonly added um, but that in no way mimics the food matrix that you see in milk and dairy products it's a completely different matrix primarily um, you know plant-based drinks are primarily water um, and and are really a processed food as well in many respects and I think that we know much less about them in terms of their effects on health than we do about the effect of uh, the relationship between milk and dairy foods and its effect on health and risk of chronic disease but my concern is that that consumers are using them as a replacement and they are not nutritionally equivalent and they aren't a replacement and shouldn't be viewed as a replacement for milk and dairy foods and i think that's especially true if we think of children who are growing and have you know um high nutrient requirements so need nutrient dense foods if um you were relying on plant-based drinks as a replacement um, potentially children could be at risk of deficiency and inadequacy of many nutrients um, micronutrients and nutrients such as protein yes and so on that I, I wonder what your viewpoint is then in dietary guidelines I guess in Australia we do talk about uh, dairy foods as a core food group but we also include in their alternatives do you feel, and I'm not sure what the guidelines say in the UK, that perhaps there needs to be a little bit more explanation around uh, alternatives and perhaps some of the key nutritional considerations that might need to be taken into account given your research and the food matrix and the importance of that, that it may not be as easy for people to just swap out uh, dairy foods for an alternative from a nutritional and a health perspective and that maybe there's other things that need to be considered. Would you like to see more on that or more of a, a point made on that in dietary guidelines? Yeah, I, I, I would like to see more differentiation in dietary guidelines um, with, with regard to the alternatives. Um, in the UK, we have milk and alternatives as a food group. And really, you need to be quite on the ball and quite well educated in nutritional terms to replace the nutrients that you get from milk with those alternatives um, and and they are they're very different they're they're not equivalent but 
if they're presented to consumers as a group milk and alternatives, then it's understandable that consumers view them as nutritionally equivalent. So they do view um, a plant-based drink as equivalent to uh, um, to milk because um, their proximity in the supermarket and on the supermarket shelves reinforces that. Um, so I think, yes, the way it is um, communicated in dietary guidelines certainly perpetuates that, and they are then seen as equivalent, which, of course, we know from, um, you know, from looking at their composition, they're certainly not equivalent. And they're much more expensive as well for consumers than um than liquid milk, for example. So I would definitely like to see more education. And I know, um, you know that, that there are some health organizations that are starting to look at this and look specifically at what should the guidance be for plant-based milks in terms of consumption and their place in the diet. And of course, you know, it's, it's important consumers have personal choice and they have a number of reasons for consuming plant-based milks but I think consumers should be aware that they of the um, the, the caveats around plant-based drinks and that you can't just lift one off the shelf and expect it's going to replace milk and dairy foods in the diet because that isn't the case with very careful planning of course you can get the nutrients you need from a plant-based diet but it requires careful planning and particularly for young children if they were consuming plant-based drinks, I would want to make sure that was that was done in, in discussion with a health professional to make sure there weren't any um, areas of inadequacies in the diet overall. Yes, yes. So that's good to hear that that's being looked at. And I guess that is a, this is an area for future consideration. And I guess one of the, I guess, fallouts of looking at a nutrient or taking a nutrient-based approach is thinking that, I guess, the key nutrient that comes from uh, dairy foods that we we it's difficult to get from other food groups being calcium and then thinking that we can as long as we're getting our calcium requirements met that we can swap out dairy for other foods and what we're seeing and what your research is showing is that that's not the case so it's great that this is being looked at in terms of I guess clarity around you know dairy versus the use of the word alternatives um, in that in that food group and so I guess going back to the Heart Foundation guidelines, which we mentioned earlier, um, which have looked at the evidence around whole foods and or patterns of eating, taking that into account. For healthy Australians, what they're now advising is that it's fine to choose either full fat or reduced fat varieties of milk, cheese and yoghurt. Are you seeing, I guess, looking at that, that sort of shift from specifically focusing on the low fat and the reduced fat is the key thing and then now incorporating um, evidence that shows that full fat is okay. Are you seeing similar trends and recommendations around that elsewhere in the world starting to come out? Yeah, I think we are seeing it starting to percolate through and filter through to dietary guidelines and as well as the Australian Heart Foundation, for example, the Dutch Dietary Guidelines um, and the Belgian Dietary Guidelines don't differentiate between um, low-fat and regular dairy products. Um, and that is based on acknowledging that there really isn't the empirical evidence to support a differentiation between low-fat and you know, the regular full-fat dairy products when it comes to health outcomes. When we look back at the large number of epidemiological studies, prospective cohort studies, that 
have now been conducted to examine the relationship between consumption of dairy products and risk of cardiovascular disease in the future, we don't see an increased risk of cardiovascular disease associated with milk and dairy products. And um, furthermore, there, there is evidence starting to emerge of a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease associated with fermented dairy products. So really, the evidence that we're seeing from those observational studies and also the evidence that we're seeing from randomized controlled trials looking at the whole dairy foods and the whole dairy matrix both support um, the, the promotion of consumption of um, whole dairy foods irrespective of their fat content. So I think we're moving away from that um, guidance, which you know really came about because of the focus of dietary guidelines on saturated fat. And now we know that that you can't just consider a food because of its saturated fat content. You you have to co consider the health effects of the whole foods and the contribution that that food makes to not just fat intake, but also intake of so many different micronutrients to our diet. So the definitely in, in dietary guidelines, we're starting to see this move away from differentiating between low fat and um, regular dairy products because there is a lack of evidence to underpin those recommendations. Yes, yeah, so... Um things keep on changing and keep on keep on evolving which is part of what we need to do as new research comes out so um that's already really really interesting and, and great to hear because i think one of the key things we need to do is remember that in certainly in western countries such as australia and in the uk we eat so many you know what we call discretionary foods uh, foods that don't contribute any nutrients and really our focus uh, you know we spend a lot of time talking about low fat versus full fat and you know, whether we can eat, uh, whether we should be having low-fat milk or full-fat or whether we can have cheese, uh, when in reality I think we just need to get people to eat more core foods, I think, as a way to improve their health and nutrition. So thank you very much for your time. Is there anything else that you wanted to add, add to what you've talked about this morning? Yeah, um, well, I guess, you know, just... Just to finish, I would I would say that you know thinking about the dairy matrix is is a really useful way to bring us back to considering the value of whole foods and the importance of consuming whole foods. And just as you mentioned there, you know, if if consumer consumers moved towards making sure more of their diet came from core foods and whole foods like milk and dairy products and we reduce the discretionary foods in our diet um, you know I think we could see significant shifts and improvements in public health not just now but in the decades ahead because I think we, we always have to be careful that whatever shifts we make in in our dietary intake um, we, we may not see the consequences for a few decades and I do worry about that with shifts to you know a lot of young people shifting to plant-based diets you know are we storing up problems for the future with regard to bone health you know in in three or four decades time where we start to see um the the effects of poor diet planning and people making uh, a shift without the the adequate edu education to a plant-based diet so again i you know i think my 
my main points would be, you know, that we should continue to pro promote milk and dairy foods as, as part of uh, a balanced diet. And the good news is that it's milk and dairy foods in whatever form uh, consumers prefer, whether that be reduced fat or the, the regular fat version. But they make a really important contribution to the intake of lots of uh, micronutrients in our diet, as well as their high value protein content. Yes, that's great. Thanks thanks very much, Michelle. So I guess in, in closing, and just to sum up, what you've said there is really to for dietitians to continue to recommend dairy foods as a unique package with proven health benefits and that the whole food matrix matters um, and that supplements or plant alternatives may be suitable for some people but that we need to make sure that the rest of a person's diet is also nutritionally adequate and, as you've mentioned, consider the future for people in terms of how their diet impacts on their future health uh, and also that we can confidently recommend either full fat or reduced fat dairy to patients and clients um, that in terms of people that don't have existing heart disease and, and what's called healthy people um, depending on their preferences which really makes it easy for people to choose um, and to, to choose foods that they they prefer and, and, and to I guess enjoy foods for the the good taste that they that they bring, particularly dairy foods and the the variety of foods that sit within that food group, whether it's milk, cheese, um, or yogurt, and the the various different uh, varieties, I guess, and and types that come within that. So, thank you very much for your time, and enjoy the rest of your stay uh, in Australia. And we look forward to following your research in the future. Thanks, Sharon. Huge thank you to Sharon Natoli, Professor Michelle McKinley, and also Dairy Australia. And thank you to you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to complete the continuing education quiz or look at the show notes, please go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcast. And we look forward to catching up with you again very soon.